On this edition of Geopolitics and Empire, Hrvoje is flying solo for the very first time on this podcast, and I'm doing this because of the events in Kazakhstan. I've had a number of people ask me to discuss what's going on in Kazakhstan, and so we'll get into that today as well as this week and in the upcoming weeks. I'll be having guests on to analyze the situation in Kazakhstan, and they'll be coming from different perspectives, which is what I really like uh, to do. I like to look at things from uh, a different perspective and have a nuanced analysis. I don't portend to know definitively, you know, what happened in Kazakhstan, what what is happening in Kazakhstan. Uh, new evidence may force us to change our opinions, and as often is the case, we may never know uh, exactly what went on and if you like or don't like this solo episode, do let me know in the comments on the different platforms uh, that this goes out to or through uh, email. Give me your feedback. This way I'll know if you want me to produce more solo episodes uh, offering my analysis on uh, occasion. So um, why am I talking about Kazakhstan? Because I, I lived there for three full years. Uh, here's a photo of me. Uh, arriving first in Kazakhstan in 2017 in what was then Astana, which was renamed uh, Nur Sultan after Nur Sultan Nazarbayev uh, stepped down. Uh, that was at the famous Astana Expo. Um, here's uh, me with my balding head touching the geographic um, center of Asia. Uh, I'm attending an international education conference um, in Astana, which we did uh, every year. Uh, and here I am with, uh, I, I really like this guy, Sayasad Nurbak, uh, what I would consider one of the top intellectuals in Kazakhstan. He held, he studied geopolitics, speaks like a, a whole bunch of languages uh, and held a number of important posts in Kazakhstan and were there at the Nazarbayev Intellectual School. So I was technically employed by Nur Sultan Nazarbayev. He was my my boss. It was the Nazarbayev uh, private fund, I forget the exact name, that finances the Nazarbayev schools. Um, so in two, 2009, Nazarbayev created the Nazarbayev University, which I would consider, you know, a high quality, almost world-class university. And he created 20 uh, high school elite uh, high schools uh, around the country, which are excellent. The students uh, speak, they're trilingual, right? So English, uh, Kazakh and, and Russian, so uh, very intelligent. So that's where I was. That's what I was doing in Kazakhstan. I was employed by Nazarbayev as an educator, uh, teacher, uh, and so on. Here I am hanging out with some Soviet uh, Afghan uh, war veterans who came to give a talk. Um, and there's me just, you know, going for a stroll uh, in the Polygon, the principal Soviet nuclear test site, uh, 18,000 square kilometer uh, territory in Kazakhstan, where, this, where the Cold War began for the Russians, where they dropped more than 500 nukes. Uh, and it was just 100 clicks away from where I was uh, living in Kazakhstan, in, in Semey, Semipalatinsk was where I was living, where they send all, where the Russian Empire and Soviet Union sent all the dissidents. Dostoevsky spent five years in Semey, so I felt uh, I was in good company uh, as myself as a dissident. Uh, I probably would have been sent to uh, Semey if I was Russian or Kazakh. Um, yeah, there's just me just hanging out at the Polygon without any protection from the radiation. So, hey, you know, uh, having tea, coffee, vodka. Uh, all right. So uh, I wanted the, the, the four sen the scenarios basically that we have in, in Kazakhstan. And 
I know there are a number of uh, analysts out there saying, you know, this is what happened, that's what happened, and I'm giving a more nuanced uh, approach. My four kind of my macro view is that uh, one of the narratives is that this was a people's protest or revolt, uh, an organic people's protest. Uh, a second view is that this was. Uh, on top of that, uh, the poor economic conditions, it was it was pushed back against COVID-1984 restrictions that were going on in Kazakhstan. Then we have the color revolution uh, version uh, and or which, you know, combines with the idea of an internal domestic uh, coup situation. Uh, and I just wanted to add on a possibility, uh, which, you know, may not be a strong possibility, but it's always there, uh, a false flag uh, operation. So uh, the first scenario is, you know, we can look at the, all of the, ma the mainstream news eurasia net which is you know pretty western uh mainstream versions it's uh f funded financed by you know soros open society and so you can you can go to them and you can see the, the story is that it was a gas price hike that was inevitable the they, they were going to you know increase the price at some point and so that fueled protests uh and i'm sure it did i'm you know the I've spoken to Kazakhs in Kazakhstan and yes, you know, there were people that came on the streets and they were peaceful. So the people that pr protesting for economic reasons were peaceful. Uh, they had signs, they were in the main squares of the different cities. And so here the main version is that the fuel prices brought people out into the streets. Uh, and even here on EurasiaNet, uh, where is it? They say that you know, it's it's really hard to figure out what's what's going on. You know, Kazakhstan's unrest narrative derailed by confusion and and blackout. So we had the internet go out uh, and so on. So this is one version that it was a natural, spontaneous kind of protest. Uh, a second version that you know adds on to this is the COVID nineteen eighty four. So Edward, uh, sorry, Riley uh, Wagaman, who I interviewed not long ago uh, on the podcast. He's got a very interesting take. I love his Substack, where he's he's saying that the Kazakhs were revolt, were revolting against the COVID nineteen eighty four restrictions. So uh, at the Nazarbayev School where I worked, um, you can't you can't work there anymore unless you are fully vaccinated. Actually, I think in most workplaces now in Kazakhstan, you can't work unless you're vaccinated. It may be like a, a limit of twenty employees uh, or more. Uh, so basically, you can't work unless you're vaccinated. Um, and there were rumors that they were going to force you to uh, to be vaccinated in order to do banking and, and all of these things, which I think is coming everywhere in the world uh, anyways. And so he's been writing articles about uh, how this is the reason for the revolt. You know, my QR code is more anti-NATO than yours because all countries are applying it, right? It's not like Russia or Kazakhstan or China are any better than the West. The Russia's full-on QR codes here in Mexico, they just announced yesterday that QR codes for supermarkets uh, in some states. You can't buy food now without being vaccinated. So, you know, uh, I, I'm kind of not buying into this uh, as being the primary reason. So I do think there was an organic uh, protest against the economic conditions, which may have... Um, overlapped with some COVID complaints, but the Kazakhs that I've spoken to, they're not really bringing this up. And in my former place of employment, everyone complied. Only one person refused to be vaccinated and therefore be fired um, rather than uh, be fired uh, rather than, you know, take the shot. And so it seems like most people have been thus far generally complying, or at least a critical mass, which we see in most countries. There's just a critical mass or a, lar a large portion of people complying with these, whatever the uh, authorities 
globalist authorities tell us to do. Uh, and indeed, there were crazy restrictions. Um, you had this, now they have this Ashuk app in Kazakhstan that gives you a green status only if you are vaccinated and only lasts one year. So I assume every year you must inject yourself um, with um, the elixir from Big Pharma. Uh, if you don't have green status, you have a blue status, which means you cannot go into shopping malls on weekdays. And again, this just this trend is just uh, accelerating. Um, and of course, you know, the Kazakh authorities were using COVID app data to uh, investigate businesses. So they would match to see how many people entered into your business. And they could see that using the COVID app, because each person has to scan uh, their COVID certificate entering into your business. So the tax, Kazakh tax people could see, you know, if 30 people walked into your business and then compare that with your sales receipts. But of course, um, it doesn't mean someone's going to purchase something if they uh, go into your business. They could just be window shopping. And so this was deemed uh, unlawful, but this just sh shows you the insanity of the Great Reset World Economic Forum, uh, COVID uh, insanity. So we've got the natural economic protests, the COVID-1984 protests. Um, for me, that doesn't that just didn't seem like it was enough to explain what, what was going on in Kazakhstan. And then we have the color revolution. Uh, story which you know here we have victoria newland um who is one of the key you know state department actors uh behind a lot of the i mean one of many uh changing uh characters in the military industrial complex american deep state uh sort of uh, regime and uh you've got um Brian Berlitich, who I've interviewed, just put out uh, yesterday a great 30-minute analysis going deep into a lot of the d details of of the color revolution in Kazakhstan from from his angle. Um, he's full on, you know, it's, it, his his uh, view is that it's full on color revolution. So you can check that out. Uh, Andrew Korbko, who's a good analyst, also discussing the po high possibility of foreign uh, intelligence forces. I think this cannot be be denied. It's the the evidence for this is. The, the the strongest uh, and he also mentions uh the u.s anti-russian deep state faction might have done this as a desperate last-ditch effort to provoke a crisis in the run-up to this week's u.s russia security talks in europe in the hopes that they sabotage this process by getting one or the other to overact uh, and then pull out of them so basically some are saying that this is to distract uh russia from what's going on um in, in Ukraine and on, on their western flank. So they've started up uh, on the southern flank of Russia, this destabilization in Kazakhstan. And it's kind of sort of like a last Hail Mary uh, of the West in their hybrid war attack on the east. You know, this it, and because it didn't doesn't really didn't really succeed, it does seem like a last ditch, a poor last ditch, ditch effort uh, on uh, by the hand of the West. Uh, we can see that the Tokayev, the president, has uh, restored order has declared the coup to have been thwarted. So things seem to be stabilizing now in Kazakhstan. So if it indeed was a color revolution, it was, again, a poor attempt at it. The West is losing their mojo. Um, the color revolution is not really working uh, anymore. Uh, we see China, uh, Chinese analysts saying that what happened in Kazakhstan has clear characteristics of a color revolution and the involvement of foreign forces and the three devils uh which we know that the foreign forces back often religious extremists uh, we had putin come out and declare that 
what happened in Kazakhstan was a color revolution. Again, just because Putin says it doesn't mean that it's actually true. We must question every single state actor, uh, including Putin. He's not always, it's not, you know, we don't necessarily believe whether it's Biden or Putin or, or whoever, Xi Jinping, question everyone. But again, we, we've got William Engdahl, who did an analysis uh, two years ago. I've interviewed him many times on this podcast discussing RAND's you know, long-term agenda plans to encircle Russia. You can read so many white papers uh, on this stuff and so many books. Moon of Alabama, who does great research. So now we're getting into a little bit of confusion because, again, we don't have all the, I don't have all the answers. I don't know exactly what's going on, but there's a lot of complicated stuff. This is, you know, smoke and mirrors, uh, espionage, uh, conspiracy. Uh, and so he's discussing here the mysteries of the failed rebellion in Kazakhstan and how there's evidence of Turkish uh, involvement, Turkey, a member of NATO, uh, you know, Erdogan and Turkey are involved in all kinds of, you know, uh, black operations with supporting jihadis in, in, in Syria and, and Libya and other countries. And so some people saying that, you know, maybe it was there was Turkish involvement uh, sending in these jihadis into Kazakhstan. So there were reports of uh, hundreds, if not thousands of extremist, vi violent uh, people from outside Kazakhstan, from the neighboring stans who went into Kazakhstan and created havoc. Uh, there are reports of, you know, they're just burning down the place in Kazakhstan, uh, bombing uh, certain places in Kazakhstan, looting, and even beheadings uh, and assassinations. So, again, this is this is um, that's what's going on, and. I just lost my spot and yeah for since i came to kazakhstan i've been saying since day one i couldn't find the exact article but um i was telling people in 2017 when i arrived to kazakhstan you know kazakhstan is ripe for a color revolution that um there were russian generals and military saying years ago that the u.s was going to send their u.s sponsored u.s backed western backed nato backed european backed uh, ISIS, Al Qaeda. Basically, they are the the that's the army of the West. ISIS and Al Qaeda. There's the Iraqi general who said that tomorrow ISIS would disappear in Iraq if the West simply stopped financing and arming and training them. And so he was saying that uh, ISIS and Al Qaeda, backed by the West, would be sent into Central Asia and Kazakhstan to destabilize the place. It has been peaceful for a long time. For decades, Kazakhstan has been uh, peaceful and stable. And now we see what this this prediction has come. Uh, true. Um, and we have, again, strat strategic culture and, and many others asking the questions. Pepe Escobar, Tim Kirby, is Kazakhstan the victim of a color revolution? Step on fire, Kazakhstan's uh, color revolution. Robert Bridge, who I've interviewed also discussing another Ma Maidan uh, color revolution uh, in the making. Um, how do color revolutions Work. So this was actually put out into the internet um, by myself, even though I, w I, w I shouldn't have done that. I actually have the, the, the book here, the physical book with me that I brought from Geneva and the article in the book from uh, Oscar Buffy. Uh, I just, it was too good not to, to share this. And so many, I think this was like 10 years ago. I just slipped this out somewhere into the internet and it was a really good. Uh, explanation of how color revolutions work, this U.S. interference network. So the CIA has been doing regime change since the 1940s, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and it seems somewhere in the 80s they transitioned to this more, um, how would you say, uh, uh, more opaque uh, approach where instead of doing outright regime changes like the CIA, CIA did in, let's say, 1950. 
Uh, three, Iran with Operation Ajax, the, the MI6 CIA operation to overthrow uh, Prime Minister Mossadegh in Iran. The CIA created or, you know, the U.S. government established the National Endowment for Democracy, which has four sub-branches, International Republican Institute, National Dem Democratic Institute, uh, and so on. And then they work uh, together with Freedom House and the Albert Einstein Institute and the Soros Open Society Institutes, and they... In the many foreign countries, they finance local thousands of local NGOs. For example, in Kazakhstan, there are tens of thousands of local NGOs. Uh, and I don't know how many are receiving financing from these Western institutions. They receive training, logistics, and media, positive media coverage. Uh, and so you can see the many different examples that came out in Serbia, Georgia, Rose Revolution, Ukraine, Kyrgyzstan, and many, many more countries. In Kazakhstan, we have, again, the Eurasia Net, um, sponsored by uh, Open Society and the others. Here's an article written by Joanna Lilis, the Economist correspondent um, for Central Asia. Uh, I actually interviewed her uh, some years ago. Uh, she wrote an interesting book, uh, Dark Shadows, uh, I'd recommend getting that book as a basic background around Kazakhstan. Uh, here we are sitting in uh, my apartment discussing uh, her book and her thoughts on Kazakhstan. And so, uh, in any case, here's the, here is uh, Dimash Aljanov being uh, arrested, and he's one of he's involved with the Oyan Kazakhstan Wake Up Kazakhstan movement. But you know, it's it's funny. It's all just uh, I, I did some research and I found on his LinkedIn. Dimash Aljanov, you can see here that he was a political program assistant at NDI. Let's go back to that map. NDI is the National Democratic uh, Institute for uh, International Affairs. Uh, there you go. So NED. So on his LinkedIn, it says that he, uh, it even said until the present. So I don't know how long he's been working there and he's involved with other uh, such institutions. He worked as a program manager for National Democratic Institute. Uh, there you go. So, uh, and another just interesting story, one of my students at the Nazarbayev school wanted to talk about human rights uh, in between classes. So we were talking about human rights and uh, she shows me this essay. She, she, she had been working with a local NGO uh, in Kazakhstan there in Samay that's spread out in all, a whole bunch of different cities in Kazakhstan and it's called MISC. And she shows me an essay and she receives, uh, she received a certificate and in Cyrillic, it was a certificate that came from the National Endowment for Democracy. And you, we look at the, the NGO that she was working with, uh, just in an extracurricular fashion, just for fun. You go to the bottom, you see that it's funded by Soros, um, Freedom House, USAID, National Endowment for Democracy, the usual suspects. So uh, again, and so, you know, th this is what's going on in Kazakhstan, the, all this evidence for it being a color revolution. And then you have, um, you know, Kazakhstan and Russia are aware of this. I think they could have done a much better job, but you know, some things that they did were, you know, they, they block email services, such as one of the email services I use is Startmail. Uh, and I was shocked to discover that um, while I was there, it was blocked in Russia and uh, in Kazakhstan. You can see Startmail here put up a, a blurb. Uh, when I told them that it was blocked in Kazakhstan, they 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 said they received reports that you know, we, we were not able to access our mail in Kazakhstan. I had to go through multiple VPNs as the Kazakh government kept uh, blocking the VPNs in Kazakhstan. And um, I even had uh, a sit down with a local security officer who was intrigued by, you know, my podcast and what I was talking about. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that he um, 
was wondering if I was a foreign agent and he took me out to lunch, very friendly guy, spoke perfect English, my, my age, uh, he studied abroad, uh, and he was a local security, uh, person. And, uh, you know, I think he was vetting me to see if I was a foreign agent or if I was genuinely concerned about uh, Kazakhstan. And, um, that brings me to my next uh, point. Uh, this thread went viral, uh, by Clint uh, Ehrlich, who's a lawyer, uh, an expert in, really an expert in crypto and, and blockchain and, and stuff. Uh, and I reached out to him for an interview and, and he said he won't do an interview on Kazakhstan. He's not giving anyone interviews on Kazakhstan because he's not an expert on Kazakhstan. Uh, but in, in any case, um, I should be talking to him about his real expertise, which will be uh, crypto and blockchain in the near future. But his his post went viral about the, K, the head of the KNB, the Kazakh Intelligence uh, Service, the Kazakh CAA, um, Masimov, I think is his name, this guy, he has been arrested. Uh, he was supposed to be he was thinking he might be a future president, but he was passed over by Nazarbayev for Tokayev. Um, and here we have photos of Masimov with the Bidens. Uh, and Clint points out that it was not just, you know, a one-off that he was, he had a relationship with the Bidens. And he points out that a color revolution always needs an inside man. It needs to be an inside job. And so you need to have someone on the inside in the Kazakh government working with the West to uh, overthrow um the country and so you know th this is more evidence again that it's a color revolution uh again Korbko points out that uh, some people are saying that it was not a color revolution that it was an internal you know coup uh you know the mainstream outlets are saying that Tokayev took advantage of the violent protests in order to make a power play against Nazarbayev and the faction that allegedly loyal to him within that country's within Kazakhstan's deep state. So some are saying that it was Tokayev leading a coup against Nazarbayev, Nazarbayev leading a coup against Tokayev or, or another elite faction within Kazakhstan. Um, and that, you know, there's reports that in 2016, we had the coup in Turkey, that it could have been a self-coup organized by Erdogan, a, a false flag. So again, this is where we, this is what I'm saying that it's hard to say what's really going on. It could be a color revolution. It could be an internal coup. It could be elements of both. Uh, and the, indeed, the economic, uh, the poor economy and the protests by the common Kazakh people, uh, as well as against the COVID restrictions could also be, be playing a part. But in order to, I mean, it could both be true. We could have the people protesting and to launch a color revolution, you need to have uh, an organic, you need, you need to have some fuel on the fire. So the infrastructure has been in place in Kazakhstan, this color revolution infrastructure. And they, so they just waited for the right moment, which was the raising of the gas prices, poor economy, COVID restrictions, and they launched this uh, color revolution. Um, here's another comment by Luca Ancesi, who I'm also going to have on the program to get his take. He's saying with the arrest of Masimov, what we have witnessed may well be a failed coup uh, clumsily concealed behind large-scale protests that may or may not have um, not led to change beyond subsidization of gas prices. So basically a manifestation of the instability of the Kazakh uh, elites. And um, this is a former, I think, uh, what is it, Indian uh, diplomat, um, great blog on geopolitics. He adds a nuance here that I think is important, that he talks about the bio weapons labs in Kazakhstan that are financed, funded by the US DARPA Pentagon. And he says that these, you know, he points out how Kazakh Ministry of Education and Science now work mainly on Pentagon research 
programs. So again, this is all really kind of very strange. And the people I've talked to in Kazakhstan, you know, there are like 500 American companies working in Kazakhstan. They they have brought the biggest investment is from America, American companies, American oil companies. So again, it's like really hard to figure out what's going on. And, you know, he points out that these bio labs are examples of something sinister that has been going on, which everyone knew and no one wanted to talk about. The extensive penetration of the decadent Kazakh ruling elites by the U.S. intelligence. So again, there's that color revolution angle. This penetration has been going on for years, but significantly deepened as the 81-year-old former president, Nazarbayev, as his leadership began to loosen and his family members and cronies began um, moonlighting, I guess, lo losing control, just like, you know, the, the Russian puppet Yeltsin had lost uh, control. Um, and that the Kazakh elites are notoriously corrupt, even by Central Asian standards, and the parasitic elites have preferred to keep their loot in safe havens in the Western world. Unsurprisingly, they are hopelessly compromised to the U.S. intelligence. It's as simple uh, as that. And so uh, another guest that I've had on, Glenn Deason, just uh, published um, today, and again, that Kazakhstan shows U.S. influence is on the wane. So I think that indeed does seem to be the case that these color revolutions are like Hail Marys that aren't working anymore. And it's a demonstration that U.S. is losing its economic and military uh, might. Um, and the final theory, just briefly to touch on false flag theory, right? Uh, there were these apartment, multiple apartment bombings in Moscow in 1999, right? Russia closed the case on that in 2008. Three. Uh, however, I've read this excellent book by John Dunlop, and it convinces me that the Moscow bombings of 1999 were a Russian false flag uh, operation where they blew up multiple uh, apartment buildings with people in them, blaming you know Chechen terrorists, and it was a great pretext then to go um, off uh, on a mini war into uh, uh, Chechnya and use use this to bolster the russian state's power so every country does this you know i'm going to go out and say yeah, i believe 9-11 was uh, a false flag operation we have russians doing a false flag uh, operation uh and then we had in 2016 in akto bay in kazakhstan a terrorist incident that with a shooter that, that killed a, uh, a number of people i've had a number of Kazakhs tell me, just people, everyday Kazakhs say that they thought this could have been a, a false flag by the Kazakh government just to gain more more power or to distract from cor corruption or whatever advantage it would serve the government. So again, there are these possibilities. I, I think it's important to bring bring them to light. Um, again, other things to think about, you know, who benefits in the end, I guess we're going to have to see with time who, who benefits uh, there's a lot of rare earths in Kazakhstan. A lot of, you know, it has 40% of the world's uranium. It's got the monopoly on uranium, uh, natural gas, uh, gasoline, petroleum, gold, uh, and other things like this. Uh, um, and just one more comment on the Collective Security Treaty Organization. Uh, another nuance or factor to mention is globalism. So Nazarbayev is a full-on globalist. I've been to his his library in Astana, uh, when I took the kids on the model United Nations, uh, which was held there. And you can see he's got books on him spousing globalism, Nazarbayev. He's a full-on globalist, which is no wonder why Kazakhstan today is full-on implementing the Great Reset World Economic Forum, uh, crazy QR code, vaccine passport agenda. 
Uh, and so, you know, Tokayev worked at the UN. He, he, to a he, he's a globalist as well. Um, from his uh, say, comments or, or writings, maybe not as strong as Nazarbayev, but supposedly the Eurasian Union idea was uh, Nazarbayev's idea. And um, uh, what else would I say? That w there's this the globalist idea is to create, to get rid of nation states and to replace them with regional units. And the EU, European Union, is the model. And so I would assume they would want to create something like a regional military apparatus, kind of like NATO. So each region would get its EU. You would have a North American Union, a Latin American Union, which the Mexican President AMLO just a month ago said we need a Latin American uh, version of the European Union. We have already an African Union. So they want to create a Eurasian Union. And this would, the events in Kazakhstan bolster uh, the, the reason, uh, it bolsters the CSTO. Uh, as an organization and there were talks uh, of mentioning um you know we have this belarus russia union state this integration of belarus and russia and based on the events in kazakhstan i heard saw headlines of talk of integrating kazakhstan with this belarus russia union state so they clearly need a pretext uh, to push forward eurasian integration to create a eurasian union just like the eu just like the latin american union just like the coming you know north american uh union um so anyways the mission was accomplished by the csto they're leaving soon and uh again yeah here's just a map of the eurasian uh union that they want to form uh and that's just the future of the world will be regional supranational unions no more nation states uh, and we will be within these regional unions will be ruled by a technocracy that we simultaneously see coming into uh being and so i i would argue again that Putin and Russia and Nazarbayev and Kazakhstan and China are not our saviors. They are implement they are implementing the same agenda in their countries and their region as the globalist West uh, is implementing uh, in our regions. And so that's pretty much my kind of overview of what's going on. I don't pretend again to have the definitive answer. It does look like a color revolution. Um, attempt with maybe different flavors, maybe with a with a, you know indeed was sparked by perhaps gas prices and some COVID protests, but it was largely driven the violent aspect of what we saw in Kazakhstan by these outside forces that benefited from the economic, um, you know, the economic problems that some people started protesting uh, against. And who knows, you know, maybe 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 the, it was a false flag but it just doesn't seem to be the case in this instant but again we don't know i'll leave you with this we'll have to wait uh for the fallout and then to pick up the pieces and you know in terms of fallout here's a one of the photos i took from the polygon nuclear test site i'll leave you with that um again send me your feedback uh comments if you want me to do more solo uh episodes uh like this um and again, this is one, the first time I'm doing this, so I'm a bit rough around the edges. And I'm, I'm sure the more I do this, uh, the better I, I will get at it. And also, don't forget to visit the website and subscribe to the email list, which is important for me, and to leave uh, the reviews on the Apple Podcasts and to subscribe to all of the different channels like Odyssey, uh, BitChute Rumble, 
uh, YouTube will probably, they'll probably eventually delete me uh, off of YouTube and, and leave a donation on PayPal Crypto or Subscribestar. Let me give you a sneak peek. Um, this is the new website that's being built. So I'm building a new website for Geopolitics and Empire. And I've got a lot planned for it. Um, original written content. So not no more just podcasts. The podcast will be free forever. And I'm going to be increasing the quantity of podcasts that I do. But I, I, will, I will also have original written content uh, from different experts. So be sure to check that out. And I'm also going to have a member's section this donation model is not working for me and so uh, i hope that you will become a member when the site goes live uh, i haven't determined the price yet but you can you know become a member and pay monthly or um, pay once a year and i will be doing members only weekly analysis as well as members uh, a group call with members uh, and it's going to be in english and spanish so the analysis will be both in english and in spanish and group call um in English, as well as a separate one in Spanish. And I will be writing a monthly sort of newsletter, just giving you my thoughts on what I think is going on and maybe a few other perks. So um, that's the only way I can keep doing this. If I can't get, um, I haven't been able to get enough do donations um, uh, to make this sustainable. Well, for Mexico, it's all right. But if I wasn't living in Mexico, I'd be in the red. So thanks for everyone who's been donating so far. Uh, and yeah, please look into becoming a member when the site goes live with the membership uh, option. And that way I can you know, grow and keep doing more of this work. I'm a one man uh, operation and it's not easy. And, uh, you know, if, if the membership year support would grow through the membership, uh, you know, I could possibly hire people to help me help me out uh, and improve uh, everything I'm doing here. So with that, uh, do svidaniya.